He's been resting in a cryonic deep freeze for 10 years. Oh, my God. But a mistake turned miracle brought him back to life. They're going to give my son back to me. He's alive. Pleasure doesn't have to be cold-blooded. Yet something human is missing. Oh, that's how I like it. A tale of terror. Chiller. Wednesday. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Craven Craven Episode 8. My name is Patrick Bromley, joined, as always, by my Craven Craven co-host, Heather Wixon. Hi, Heather. Hello. This month on Craven Craven, we're talking about Wes Craven's 1985 made-for-TV movie, Chiller. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Technically, <laughs> I think we should have done this before. Oh, actually, no, no, this is this is correct. For some reason, I had in my head that Nightmare was night 85, but I'm an idiot. Because um, I was like, wait, you know, Nightmare was November 84. This was May 85. Yeah, and I um, think we went back and forth at the end of the last show trying to figure out if we needed to do this or Hills Have Eyes 2 first. And we figured that it was this. Yes. Um, I feel like this is going to be sort of anticlimactic in, compar- in comparison to A Nightmare on Elm Street. But, this uh, may we'll, very we'll, we'll well our be our shortest episode <laughs> because <laughs> what there's so much to dig into. Here. I gotta say, there's not a ton to unpack in Wes Craven's Chiller, which I went to play this on Amazon. Whoo! That's, God, a, yeah, that's God, a rough go of it. God bless Amazon's quality control department uh, for having a <laughs> fourth generation VHS transfer of Wes Craven's Chiller but I went to play it and it said play again and I said what you're suggesting that I've played this before I have no memory of ever seeing this movie I still believe I haven't my guess is there was a night four years ago where I pressed play and promptly fell asleep so that technically the video played but I never saw it because there's no way I ever saw this movie what's funny is I actually kind of think there's parts of this that I sort of remember. And I was like, did my mom watch this on TV? It's the only thing I could think of is like that. Cause we always used to watch like all the movies of the week and stuff. Yeah. So I kind there's the sequence when he's being a total jerk to Jill Sholin towards the end. Um, uh, Michael Beck, who's like the main guy in it. And yeah. I was like, this is so familiar to me. And I know conscientiously as an adult, there is no way I've watched this. So there's part of me that thinks that I might have seen this as a kid and barely remember it, which speaks volumes. (laughs) So this aired on May 22nd, 1985. Here is the plot summary from IMDb. A man who has been dead and cryogenically preserved for 10 years is miraculously revived, but with chillingly unexpected results. Ooh. Did you did you do a Dr. Evil like finger to your face like like when you said chillingly there? I wish I would have. Uh here are the <laughs> plot keywords on IMDb. The first one is bare chested male. Uh which is also uh, that's it? My second most searched The name of uh, my band. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's my second most searched term on Pornhub. But uh bare chested <laughs> male, defibrillation, growling dog woman with a black eye and locked in a meat locker. This is, wow. the, this is the weirdest beat poem I've ever read. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, that's, that's something else. Um, <laughs> who puts these together? <laughs> Who's compiling the list of movies with growling dog or woman with a black eye. 
I kind of want to see the list of movies. The woman with the black eye, like that's so specific. I'm clicking on it. Don't you worry. Okay. Bad times at the El Royale. Atomic Blonde. Red Sparrow. Don't breathe. Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Last Action Hero. Colossal. Croupier. The Layover. Footloose 2011. Wild Card. VHS. I mean, it keeps going. This is a. Is Footloose 84 in there at least? I don't see it. It's 47 Which... titles long and includes a lot of TV. There's got to be a few Nancy McKeon made for TV movies in there. Do you know Nancy? I'm sure we've talked about this before, but Nancy McKeon was like my first ever boy girl crush. Oh, yeah. She was. I used to love Joe on yeah, Back to Life. But was, she, she made a lot of. Joe made for TV movies where she was on the receiving end of some pretty terrible things. I'm sorry to hear that. I don't see Footloose 1984 on here. <laughs> like, which is the stupidest thing ever because... <laughs> the remake. <laughs> the remake is on there. The remake makes it, but uh, but not... Oh, St. Agatha made it on there. Um, oh, I know that movie. Yes, you do. Chiller is number 23. I don't think these are ranked. I don't really know, but Chiller is number 23. <laughs> All right. I mean, she does have a pretty gnarly black eye in this movie. There's a punched in the face keyword, flashback keyword. Black eye is different from woman with a black eye. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Chiller. (laughs) Uh, Written by J.D. Feigelson. So not written by Wes Craven. This, to me, is sort of the the most mercenary for hire movie Wes Craven has made to date, at least that we've covered. Like, I'm going to be really honest. If I have, if I had to choose between this or like watching the fireworks woman, I, I probably would choose the fireworks woman again. Well, it's more uh, interesting in terms of understanding yeah. Wes Craven as a filmmaker, because I, really, you don't get much of yeah. him out of chiller. No, I mean, there's, like, a few parts that sort of visually kind of feel like him. Like, the, there's, like, the scene when uh, Miles, um, which you know he's a bad guy if his name is Miles, uh, especially in, in the 80s, um, when he's his he's back and he's in the cryotank uh, room and there's, like, all this, like, fog and it's very ominous. It was funny because the first sort of connection I made to it is it reminded me a lot of how Freddy's Nightmares was shot. Right. And it's an because it just it feel with <laughs> which feels like really flat to me. Um so it has sort of like that weird sort of atmospheriness to it, but that doesn't really last a whole lot in here. It's I I don't get it. Like this this feels like the least craveny movie that we've watched. Like even like and he's done other TV movies. So this isn't just strictly him working in a different medium because I would argue both Invitation to Hell and Stranger in Our House, like they those have like touchstones of what we come to know from Craven's filmography. This just does not. I don't know if this was just a quickie, you know, we're not sure what's going on with Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to make this like I can't imagine. Like, did he have to make a decision between going on to direct a Nightmare on Elm Street part two or this? Like, it feels weird. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, he was a guy who needed 
paying jobs in the 80s. Which I get. Right, absolutely. And nobody faults him for that. This seems like a case of, hey, I need a paying job, uh, so I'm going to take this TV movie. This is the third made-for-TV movie we've covered, yeah. And and as you said, it's the least Wes Craven of them all, and I think the least successful of all three of them. Like, it's fine. It's I'm not even saying it's a bad movie. It's just almost not anything. Yeah, I don't understand how you take a movie that has Beatrice Strait and Paul Zorvino and the adorable uh, Jill Sholin in it. It totally has zero personality to it. Like, there's just, there's nothing. Like, there's no emotional crux. And the thing is, I actually think the concept is kind of interesting. Um, I, I, you know, especially because we're, especially these days, like, you could remake this right now and it would be really interesting because, like, you know, we're on the cusp of a lot of different medical breakthroughs and things like that. You know, we, we've all heard the stories of people being cryogenically frozen and things like that. Like, so there's there's something very interesting about that. Like, what happens to somebody when they come out of that? Um, none of that is here. No. Like, they're, like, I get that he comes back and he's basically soulless and he's evil. But they don't even, like, really dig into that, into that part of it that deeply. Like, it really plays it by a very bored, like, I don't even want to say by the book because books are interesting, but this is, <laughs> this is like by the instruction manual of just like, get your shots, get your performances and move on. And it's a, it's kind of a bummer. Is there some attempt here to be critical of sort of the eighties? Not... Soullessness of, of the elite. Yeah. I mean, because basically, yeah, he's just playing Patrick Bateman, uh, a, a less homicidal Patrick Bateman. And so this idea that he doesn't and have very a very less charismatic, so, oh, much less charismatic. Yeah. And his business cards are not as cool. Um, yeah. But there's very little like there's nothing especially dangerous about him except for obviously woman with a black eye, you know, where he goes out on a date with the woman and she comes back beaten up we don't see that happen mercifully but uh so we know that he is physically abusive but we don't see much of him being i mean he fires a guy okay so uh that makes him soulless or is it just are all of these sort of corporate executive corporate executives of the 1980s are we lumping them all together as being soulless you know i don't think so in this degree because uh beatrice Strait, who plays uh, the mom to the character of Miles. She plays Marion in this movie. Um, and there, she's very compassionate because once he fires, oh my gosh, um, oh, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name. Uh, Clarence Beeson? Yes. So when he fires Clarence, like also the name of like the, the nice little angel from It's a Wonderful Life. Like, how do you fire somebody named Clarence? <laughs> Um, anyway, so he fires the old man and like, she immediately was like, no, you have to rehire him. We have to do right by him because he's been there for the company all along. To me, that's actually kind of interesting because most corporations don't really give a crap. Um, so I think it's, there's an interesting dichotomy. It may be of where, how business used to be versus where business was heading because of the soullessness that was sort of taking over. Uh, the upper class of the eighties because mid eighties, we were still, we weren't in full blown greed is good mode yet. Okay. 
you know, I think there were still some ideals from like the, the hippie days and like the days of, of uh, Woodstock that were sort of still out there in post Vietnam where, you know, we realized we needed to do better for humanity. Um, um, but ultimately at a certain point when people started to make a lot of money in the eighties, then it was greed is good. Right. So it's almost like it's like clashing of like the two ideals, which is, which would be in any other circumstances <laughs> more interesting um, like I said, there's actually, I think there's something really, there, there are elements to this that I think if you remade it could actually be kind of good. Well, it reminded me a lot like, I think of, there's, a, there's a, there's some good ideas. It reminded me a lot of, uh, the book, the novel that Wes Craven wrote, which is called Fountain Society, which is also sort of about this radical science experiment that allows, it doesn't cryogenically freeze people, but it does allow them to become younger. Hence the title fountain, you know, as in fountain of youth. Um, and it, it deals a lot more with sort of the implications of what that means. I think in this instance, he's trying to say something, you know, there's always been religious overtones in a lot of his work. And we know that he's somebody who has struggled with his own relationship to religion, having been brought up kind of fundamentalist. Um, and there seems to be an attempt here to grapple with what is the nature of the soul? Should we be playing God by freezing someone when, you know, they're meant to die. And yet we're saying, no, we're going to hold on to them for 10 years and bring them back to life is something lost in that process. So it's like he's teasing these ideas, these sort of religious concerns, but the movie never really grapples with them in any way. Uh, there's some conversations between Paul Sorvino and Beatrice Strait that attempt to talk about this this notion of you know the soul and what happens to the soul when we die and but i don't think and maybe it's maybe it's the fact that it's a made for tv movie and maybe you just can't get into these kinds of theological philosophical conversations in a movie that needs to sell cars and soft drinks yeah no i i definitely agree and i think a lot that you know obviously comes through the character of, of Paul Servino's character, which is uh, Reverend Penny. Um, I always think it's hilarious whenever Paul Servino plays like uh, religious roles because <laughs> anything I've, I've other to than him a gangster. Real life. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he was in uh, Devil's. Oh, Park that's Park. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so Repo. I mean, he plays God. So and Repo, um, and he's he's a spirited fella, is what I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it at. <laughs> he's. He li he's lived a life and he's enjoyed his life and that's what I'll say about that. But it's so it's like it's interesting to see him very sort of pious and very, you know, very concerned and, you know, but it's like the, the even the scenes with him and Beatrice Strait, like you have Paul Servino and Beatrice Strait, I, like, and, you know, of course we love Beatrice because of uh, Poltergeist. Right. Um, and yet there's still something very wooden about their scenes in particular. And both of them are like incredible performers on the screen. Um, but you'd think like with the inclusion of a character like Reverend Penny, who Miles eventually attacks and then puts in the hospital, like, you know, that's clearly somebody saying that this is an attack, like by Miles existing, it is an attack on God's will. 
Um, and yet it never goes any further than that. It's just like, oh, he's a bad man and something's wrong. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think if this would have been a movie movie where you could go in and just tell a 90 minute story without having to worry about where to cut to commercial breaks and things like that. Right. Like, I think I do think that there's some interesting ideas here. I don't think they totally come together, um, which, again, bums me out. But at the same time, like you win some, you lose some. So when I said we don't really see Miles being violent, I completely forgot him attacking Reverend Penny. Yeah. So those of you listening I, who are like, uh, he straight up beats up, puts he straight up puts Paul Sorvino in the hospital. Just keep in mind, I forgot about that. But I also think that a lot of it is played off screen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So even when he attacks um, the woman, uh, I remember who his date. I don't remember what her name is. Unfortunately, I think I think she's just secretary in the credits or okay. something like that. Or no, she's she's something more because he. Because uh, Paul Servina goes to see her and then sees the black eye. Right. But there's no... Oh, is she Lee Kenyon? I'm looking at the Wikipedia cast list right now. We are so prepared for this, guys. <laughs> I think she's yes, Lee, Lee Kenyon. Yes. Um. So, like, you know, even that, like, I think pretty much, like, he grabs her hand. And then you get the fade to black, which is the cut to commercial. Right. And then you come back, and then she's in her office trying to hide her face. Also, by the way, woman with a black eye, Roadhouse, was that on the list? I did not see it on the list, but yeah, you're right. That uh, oh, that wow. one stunt woman has the black eye. Yeah, who's also in Point Break. She is. She's the lady in the shower, right? She sure is. And she's the lady at the beginning of Jason Goes to Hell. She's, right? Yeah. She is the best. She really is. She really is. She's done a lot for, for film. Um, the yeah. Wikipedia lists this movie as being 104 minutes. Now, the version that I watched on Amazon was probably 88 minutes. So was mine. So did so, we see an edited version? I don't know, because also if you look on Wikipedia, it has like the DVD where it says like digitally remastered and 5.1 surround sound and I can tell you this what I watched last night was nowhere close to being no. visually remastered and I would say it had like 1.1 surround sound I had like, to put the subtitles on so I could understand the dialogue because it was so I had, muddled I do the same yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to do the same when we watched um, Invitation to Hell also oh okay yeah because that one was a little bit of a diminished quality on Amazon as well I don't so, remember that one being as bad as this, but not as bad. It was it was still pretty bad. But it was one of those where I was like, oh, I'm going to put the subtitles on just to yeah. be safe. So yeah, it's um yeah. So now I'm like, do we is there is there a better version of this movie out there? Maybe, maybe this DVD apparently, which comes in 5.1 surround sound. Yeah, it's part of the digital gold collection. Oh yes, of course, the world famous <laughs> digital gold. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, can you buy this still? I'm like, or is it going to be like $150? Worth on... it. Worth I'm look it. look on Amazon right now. I'm doing the same. Wes Craven's oh. Chiller, $9.99 on DVD. There's a couple different DVDs. There's a $5 one. Mm. I don't trust that one. I found the Digital Gold Collection, which you could buy for $8.99. That came out okay. in 2002, and then in 2004, they released another one that's nine ninety nine. 
So yes, you can still buy Wes Craven's Chiller on DVD. Oh. And Amazon I... lists the runtime as one hour and twenty-seven minutes. Okay, interesting. So who's lying to us? Um. Well, the very Probably first Amazon TV. review says horrible quality DVD. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing it's that same transfer that uh, that they have up on Amazon. Wow. All right. Interesting. Yeah. So I have a question that I meant to ask you before we pressed record, but now we're in it and I don't have a choice. I got to just ask, but it's going to show that I'm ignorant. And I think it's because I literally was like trying to fight falling asleep while watching this movie. Not because it's like (laughs) so bad. It has a lot to do with me just not sleeping very much at night as as oh, I are. watched it at three thirty in the morning, okay. so I, I I know what you're saying. <laughs> right. So I missed something that I thought I understood, and then I realized no, I didn't. Who is Jill Sholin to these people? She is. is she a the, niece. They, she is the stepdaughter, which they literally stepdaughter. say once. Okay. They say once when I think they're at the house. No, no. Maybe it's at the hospital, but it's like such a throwaway little moment. And then they never do anything else to sort of solidify that relationship. So I'm guessing she is a daughter that Marion had, like from a different marriage or of she's, some sort. Or she's the father's daughter who married in. Yeah, who's now gone. But no, that I... wouldn't make sense because she's younger than Miles, so... That wouldn't make sense. Um, yeah, they play it fast and loose with her. I mean, I was <laughs> excited to see her, but... Me you know. too. Uh, I'm always excited to see Jill Sholin show up in anything, especially a horror movie. But I just think I assumed she was like a blood sister to Miles. Which um, makes everything a little weird. It, well, so it's not till late in the movie where she keeps referring... Uh, to Marion as Marion that I'm like, well, she must not be her daughter. I don't think her daughter is calling her by her first name. But when I thought that they were just blood related, uh, I will admit when we first see Miles looking through the little peephole in the closet and spying on her, I perked up because I was like, well, this just got perverted in that great Wes Craven way. <laughs> and I got really excited. That, wow, like, that's somehow, a t-shirt right there. Right? Well, this just got perverted. <laughs> somehow Wes Craven had snuck in some of that fucked up sexuality, you know, that he so often goes to. Because, again, think about Fireworks Woman, a movie about a brother yeah. and sister who desperately want to fuck each other. Um I was like, ooh, he's sneaking that into a made-for-TV movie. This is interesting. And then later in the movie, he's trying to kiss her, and he never does. So I was like, well, maybe that's how they got away with it, is that you know it never actually happens. But then she keeps calling her Marion, and I was like, well, she can't be a blood relative. So stepdaughter. I mean, it still makes it messed up, but it's not as messed up as I was kind of hoping. It's kind of like Clueless before Clueless was Clueless. Right? <laughs> Clueless made it cool. Yeah. It did. I mean, like, let's be honest. If Paul Rudd was our stepbrother... You know, I think all of us would be in the same boat. Like, come on. He's a total Baldwin. Yeah, yes, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I, I, it's it's funny. I love Clueless, but that never fails to kind of like really. The only person <laughs> she can actually hook up with in this movie is her stepbrother. Well, That's... there's two okay. movies I can name, and I've I've made this statement before. There's basically two romantic comedies I can name where the couples that end up together at the end, like I didn't see coming from the first five minutes of the movie because most romantic comedies, it's like, it's the two people on the poster and we're just waiting for them to get together and figure it out. But the, did you ever see the movie casual sex with Leah Thompson? Um, I did. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I kind of remember there's like some icky weirdness in that too, though. Not really. I mean, the title is more uh, lascivious than the movie itself because it's all just about like being at a health spa and sleeping around in the 80s. But she ends up with Andrew Dice Clay at the end, which like you wouldn't have seen. And somebody was on Twitter fairly recently like complaining about that. I'm like, no, that's what makes the movie work. That's what makes it special because you don't see that coming and yet they still earn it. And the other one is Clueless because... Who could have guessed she would end up with her stepbrother, you know, from early in the movie? When I you're thought there was them. something weird about Andrew Dice Clay's character in that movie. I, Just that he's yeah. basically Andrew Dice Clay, but he like softens by the end of the movie. Okay, because I have I I literally haven't seen it since I think renting it on VHS. So it's a good one. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I I used to I used to love Victoria Jackson. So before you found out she's a monster. Yeah, <laughs> isn't, like, that, isn't that great? It's like every day somebody's like, you're like, oh, no, okay. <laughs> but we could still love Leah Thompson. Oh, for sure. Yes. She rules. She does. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 I, again, it's like I get them not push, pushing that further. But I guess, oh, I guess it's sort of a little bit in the, um, we get a little bit of weirdness between brother and sister and how the sister sort of reacts to the brother being seduced in Stranger in Our House. Yeah. So, was Wes Craven an only child? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> Wishing he had a sibling to date. Mm. And then, if you think about it, Scream 3 is about siblings like going, like basically fighting to the death. Right. So does it all culminate in Scream 3? Yes, I think so. Mm. He, fi- he, he finally had the last word on sibling relationships in Scream 3. But he had I to get guess. to that point. He had to have a career of movies of siblings trying to fuck each other before he could have them kill each other. <laughs> you got you to really work for it, I guess. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see and other things i don't really remember anything else but i also uh once we get to his other tv stuff which we'll have to figure out how we're going to work that because like nightmare cafe do we cover it because he was a co-creator i don't know right. if he actually directed any even of the his episodes. uh his twilight zone or twilight zones plural like maybe they're on youtube i haven't checked when they rebooted it in the 80s but i know yeah. they used to sell the dvd set and now it goes for crazy amounts of money i think Oh, geez. Yeah. Making our jobs easy. Right? People should just be sending us these things for Craven Craven. I know. Right? Um, I'm looking um, it up now. If you had a sibling or if it's available? Uh, if I'm looking up Twilight Zone, the 80s. It just says currently unavailable. They don't even have... Oh, $715. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me just pull out the old credit card. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah. Good luck with that. No problem. Here's another <laughs> just season one for $152. Huh. 
Oh, I won't even say what I would normally say to, to something like that because it's not very ladylike. But oh, here's the complete series, the complete '80s series for a hundred dollars. Okay, that's not as bad. It's not as bad, but I don't know how many seasons that is. Yeah, is that like two? <laughs> it might <laughs> like, only you be. Know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I will three, say it's what, three seasons. Thing... Oh, it's three seasons. Three okay. seasons for a hundred bucks. I remember watching them, but I don't really remember anything about them. I do remember like being like, "Oh, new Twilight Zone," as a kid. But... I watched those. I think before I watched any of the black and white ones. Like th- those were the ones I grew up with. Um, I think I watched a lot of the black and white ones because they used to show them on like Channel sixty six. I remember Channel sixty six. Oh man, WGBO, right? <laughs> yeah, that's where they showed Glow also. Uh huh, and Elvira was on sixty six also. Nice. I don't think she, yeah, because there was there was like the two, it was Channel fifty and Channel sixty six. Correct. Yes, fifty used to have on like music videos when we would get home from school, so that was super fun. I remember. Because I didn't have cable growing up, so yeah. that was like my my only entry point into the world of music videos, unless I was at somebody's house. But um, but one thing I will say about that I actually thought was like, oh, this is this could be kind of interesting. And then the movie ends is how at the end of the movie you see that they're back in the cryogenic tank unit, and all of the like all the tanks basically start malfunctioning. Yeah. And I was like, oh, are we going to get, like, a horde of, like, soulless killing people machines? Like, you know, it's actually, in some ways, it almost kind of reminded me, like, in a way of, like, the atmosphere from, like, the hospital scenes from the beyond. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I like the beyond. Yeah. So I I should (laughs) like this. Yeah, no, no, no. It's they're, they're you know, it's it's apples and pecans we're comparing right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that seemed to me like, oh, that could have been something that happened like earlier in the movie. And then you have all these other people waking up, and then they're like, everyone's like, oh my god, what's going on? Because now there's all these killings. Like that could have been. There, there, there definitely were some mis- missed opportunities on this one. I think. Well, the movie I kept thinking of, and I'm sure, is too dark and too intense for this kind of a made-for-TV genre, but uh, was Bob Clark's Death Dream, which is way more about, like, Vietnam and what happened to the soldiers who went to Vietnam. Like, the metaphor works and makes much more sense there, but just in terms of this idea of wishing your child would come back and they come back and something is clearly wrong and something it's clearly dangerous about this person. Um, I didn't feel there was like a mile, an atmosphere of mild dread in this one. A lot of it, thanks to the music I thought, which was fairly effective. Um, And it's kind of slow burn with no payoff. Like, we only know that something is wrong when we're explicitly told something is wrong. He has no soul. Like we, we should be able to kind of piece that together ourselves from what we see in the buildup, but we don't really, we have to wait until the characters spell it out for us to be like, Oh, okay. So he came back without a soul. Got it. Whereas death dream, it's very apparent early on um, that something is wrong with this son who has come back. Yeah, I do like the, the, I got a good laugh out of the thing when like, so the, you know, the, he comes back and the dog gets all growling at him, hence the, the, the growling dog tag. <laughs> and then, you know, things happen to the dog, whatever. 
Um, but I like the fact that Jill Sholin goes into like Miles's room or something like that. It sees that he rips the picture of him and the dog into two, like you would do with like a scorned lover. But he rips it in such a way that it's jagged. Like he didn't just rip it straight down the middle. There's no. all these jagged cuts in it. So he literally would have had to go like, <laughs> like five or six times. Hat, hat, hat tip to the prop. Oh yeah. On that one. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like, but I just, I was, I just love that. Like that, the imagery of him, like pairing the picture of him and his dog. Yeah. you like it's like his ex-wife or something <laughs> he's like i'm done with you um on the list of only 19 titles that include growling dog chiller ranks ninth on the imdb list really yeah jesus yeah that's pretty high it is but number one is first cow uh, Which I mean, I'm trying to remember a growling dog in First Cow. I am too. Like Cujo's right there. Right. I don't think Cujo is on this list. <laughs> what? Nobody could tag Cujo with growling dog. No, there's an episode of Pokemon on here, but no Cujo. Oh well, thank God. Yeah. If I if I wasn't able to keep all my Pokemon episodes straight, what? How would I? How would I be able to live with myself? That's so weird. I have to be in such a weird place. It's insane. Yes, but helpful. Bare-chested male. Mm, yes. What are, what's on the bare-chested male list? Well, I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Love and Monsters, number one. Okay. New Mutants, number two. Okay. Uh, Palm Springs, Tenet, Avengers Endgame. Sons of Anarchy, Justice League, Black Panther, <laughs> Dark Knight, Avengers Infinity War, Aquaman. It's all just comic book movies. Midsummer. I was going to say, so there go some real deep cuts here. Yeah. Here, huh? Not so much. The 1995 Mortal Kombat. Oh, well, they, they probably should get ready for the new Mortal Kombat, too. Basically, every superhero movie is on here. Oh, okay. And Alien. And Alien. Yeah. <laughs> Who got? Who had a bare chest? Fargo was is it? on here. I don't even remember a bare chested male in Fargo, unless they're talking about Steve Buscemi. Like, um, by the way, is... there's twenty thousand two hundred and thirty-eight titles on this list. Okay, so I want you to go through them all right now. Twenty thousand um... titles on bare chested male. Ooh, and male that's, that's uh, male objectification is a subcategory. Nice. <laughs> Do they have male objectif- uh, objectification uh, slash? Uh, Chris, uh, what's his face? Uh, Evans on there just to, oh. to really hone in. Uh, I don't see Chris Evans as a subheading. Oh, all right. Yeah, well, that, that is also a missed opportunity. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'm Look. just, I'm still trying to think of like who was, was, who was bare chested an alien? Uh,. I mean, I guess what's his face when he when they come out of the comes back. cryo suits or when they come out of cryo sleep, aren't they? Isn't like John Hurt shirtless, or do they have white uh, like t-shirts on? I, I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah. Like maybe when Kane wakes up in his little no, because they all have like these like little onesies on or something. Okay. With the buttons and stuff. Okay. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, I don't remember. That's going to torture me now. Well, you just have to watch Alien for the bare-chested male. 
Uh, that's what that's usually what I'm watching it for. So that's <laughs> that's good. That's a good time. Alien is a sexy movie. It it sure is. Um, yeah, you know what is it though, Scheller? Not really. Uh, no, I mean, Jill Sholin is in the movie, so it's not without any, uh, sex appeal. And, uh, what's his name is bare chested. Uh, he is. Who's the, he's, he was in the warriors, right? Michael Beck. Uh, he's in the warriors and more importantly, he's in Xanadu. Oh God. How can I forget Xanadu? Which is like a movie that Erica knows very well from her childhood. And I don't think I've ever seen, I've seen like pieces of Xanadu, but I don't think I've ever seen all of Xanadu. All that I know of, I, I watched part of Xanadu as a kid, but all that I really know about it is from American Dad. So, oh, for crying out loud, <laughs> you and your McFarland shows. Yes, Roger does a, a Xanadu uh, musical number on a on a ship. I believe on roller it. skates. So yeah, so yeah, chiller. I don't. I don't even know if like. You know, I feel like confident in a lot of things where I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe this is worth watching. Like, Invitation to Hell, yeah, definitely. I don't know that I could really highly recommend this. I wouldn't because, again, there's there's not really anything to it. If not for Wes Craven's name as the director, I don't think this movie lasts beyond the week it aired, right? I mean, it's a TV movie of the week that however many people watched and then I think would be quickly forgotten. It only still exists because Wes Craven directed it. And so we're all kind of interested in it as a curiosity. Uh, And as a curiosity, yeah, I would recommend it. If you're somebody who's a completist and you want to see his entire filmography and kind of understand his auteurist tendencies, but I don't know that many of them are on display in Chiller. So I don't know really what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, I feel like there's there's probably better ways to spend your time, folks. Pains me to say that. There's other there's better bare chested male movies. With, better with with uh, dog. Uh, better growling, growling dog movies. I am upset that one of the doctors, um, the two doctors who help you know thaw him out and perform the surgery and stuff, uh, one of them. His real name is Alan Fudge. Fudge. It's like so good. He used to be um, he's on something that I used to watch. Uh, Jesus. <sighs> Crap. I cannot think of it. Did you watch Seventh Heaven? He did a bunch of episodes of Seventh Heaven. Oh, not really. Oh, he was in My Demon Lover. That's what I was trying to remember. Oh, nice. <laughs> good pull. <laughs> good pull. You know. World famous demon lover. I I used to watch my demon lover a lot on cable. Oh, dude, Nick was like the best from uh, Family Franchise. Yeah. yeah, like and how perfect is it? The name Scott Valentine. It's pretty good. What I don't remember. I don't remember Alan Fudge in my demon lover. Uh, yeah, he's um. But he's oh my God, he's billed pretty high. I own the DVD, but I haven't watched it yet. So. But that was a Warner Archive pickup a few sales ago because I used to really love that movie and I was going to write something about it. I think you should. <laughs> what, yeah, just... but whatever happened to Scott Valentine? 
he made a ton of movies. Um, very low budget. He did some stuff for Roger Corman. Like, I want to say he's in some of the Carnosaur movies. He did a lot of, like, erotic thriller-type movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, he's on Silk Stockings. Well, there you go. Uh, and, of course, is in... What's that other horror anthology that he's in? Dead Time Stories? Oh, Dead Time Stories, yeah. A oh, movie. he is in Carnosaur 3. Yeah. Oh. The Unborn 2. Like, he he did a lot for Roger Corman, I think. Interesting. Yeah. And has a, an insane list of IMDb credits. I mean, he's made a lot of movies and TV. But his IMDb it's... picture... Are you on his IMDb picture? It doesn't look anything like him. Oh, no. I'm a, I was on the Wikipedia. Okay. You should check out his IMDb picture because... You would swear it wasn't him. What? I just looked him up on Google. <laughs> yeah. Who is that guy? Exactly. Where's the Pizatsky I fell in love with? Right? Holy shit. I'm so excited that I remembered the word Pizatsky. Oh, yeah. I'm impressed. I won't lie. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. Why are we getting WandaVision? Is he on, was he on WandaVision? I no. don't think so. No, no, he's not on there. Because, like, they have related news, and I was just like, and then they're like, oh, I was like, WandaVision. I was like, he was not on WandaVision. No. But if he was... <laughs> We've gone so far afield. Now we're just talking we about really Scott have. Valentine's IMDb credits. Is there anything this else is... about Chiller we need to say? This really is our very shortest episode. <sighs> Sorry, guys. This, yeah. one's, this one's a rough one. Um, yeah. I mean, at least you're not at this very moment watching Cheller. So <laughs> you're is the best way to, to put us, it. Read you're Scott Valentine's us. IMDb. <laughs> IMDb. <laughs> uh, well, the good news is we're coming back next month with The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. Uh, <laughs> is that the good news? You know, it's got a, a dog point of view. It's got a, or like it's a flashback or something told from the point of view of a dog, I think. Does he bark, though? Does he growl? Let's see. What are oh, the plot growl. keywords? Right. Cannibal, slasher, blood, grindhouse film, low-budget film. Those are the top tags. There are 73 tags in all. Wow. Somebody was busy. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, admittedly, I've only ever seen it once. So we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm game. I mean, you know, it's got to be more interesting than Chiller. Well, in this one, Wes Craven fully admits was just... a a money gig that he needed a paycheck. And so uh, I believe Look, this there ain't is nothing the movie. Wrong with getting paid. No, absolutely not. Not of us judge him for it, but I believe this is the movie that he made instead of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's weird because like, I, I appreciate what Nightmare 2 does. I, I still I think in a, I still think as a fan I would have loved to have seen his nightmare too. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, then we wouldn't have had uh, all the memorable moments of Nightmare Two. That's right. So, you're welcome, Robert Rustler. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening, Heather. Thanks for talking about this movie with me. You're you're welcome. I guess I'm sorry. I know I feel bad. I'm sorry, Cheller. Sorry we couldn't do you do you uh better but 
I don't think you deserve it. No, not <laughs> so, really. So, you know, yeah, that's okay. I'm just excited because, you know, we have a few rough pot, rough patches to get through, and then we're going to get into some real good stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're really about, once we get past, like, Hills Have Eyes Part 2, we're kind of... We're in it. Yeah, I mean, then it's just a streak of all stuff that I'm excited to talk about. Even, you know, Deadly Friend isn't my favorite Wes Craven movie, but, like, I'm excited to dive into it and talk about it on this show. So yes. I think everything else we get to from here on out is something that I'm legitimately excited for. Mm, yeah. When we get to Music of the Heart, oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never seen it. That's the one I think I haven't seen. That all and right. Chiller. So. All right. There you go. Yeah. Fill, fill in all sorts of blind spots. That's right. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next month. <laughs>